0: Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, Paul writes this. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the tricky, trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth of love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, this description of of immaturity that Paul writes to the Ephesians church really does fit the Corinthian church as well. This idea of being tossed to and fro, back and forth, this instability that comes. And it's interesting because Paul had a really special relationship with the Corinthian church. He and his team planted this church. He wrote more letters that we know of to the Corinthian church than to anybody else. And this church was a church that even though they had some great things going, Paul encouraged them. He he praised the fact in his first letter to them uh, 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 that they they were they fell short of no gift. These were people that were open to what God wanted to do and were willing to to use the gifts that God gave them. They, they were those who rejoiced in knowing God personally, but it was also a church that was quite carnal, and they would flip flip uh, flop back and forth they would go in one sense they at first they were so liberal with their views that they were allowing someone to who professed faith in their church to stay undisciplined who was sleeping with his mother-in-law and paul had to say look that's crazy even even um unbelievers don't get involved in that kind of stuff you should tell that guy he needs to repent he's gonna have to get out and they get the message and they, they tell the guy he has to repent or get out, so the guy leaves, but then when he repents wants to come back, they're harsh. They flip-flop the other way. They don't want to bring him back. They don't want to forgive the guy. And, and there's so many other things like this. In fact, we know that Paul wrote at least three letters to the Corinthians, maybe four or five. Why? Because they were all over the place. They, they, they didn't have a stability. They weren't, they, they weren't growing the way God wanted them to grow. So Paul as someone who really cared for this church that he planted, was taking a lot of time to talk with them. Now, Adam shared last week in chapter 5 and talked about how Paul was defending the truth of the cross of Christ. Because one of the accusations against Paul by the false teachers who had creeped into the Corinthian church was that Paul was had a wrong view of the cross and maybe was too soft toward sinners or too too high on the cross, and Paul should really clearly know. Here's the case: what I'm preaching is truth, is gospel. And so what happens is, is we get into chapter six, and Paul continues to talk to these guys in a very personal way. And what he's wanting to do here is, he's wanting to to show them to, again, commend himself, to prove to himself, look, I am an apostle of God. I am speaking the truth of God, and I'm speaking this truth so you would grow. So what we have for ourselves today in this text is basically, I'm going to give you three things that the Corinthians were guilty of, three things that keep us from maturing. So look at it again, verse one. Paul says, "We then, as workers together, with him, that's with God, also plead with you." If you remember from last week, we read in 2 Corinthians 5:20 that uh, Paul says, "Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God." And so Paul, in, in, in his exhortations and in, in wanting to challenge the Corinthian church, He wants to make sure they understand, look, this is God who wants this. This is not just my opinion as a church planter or something. God wants this. He's speaking with the authority of God. It's God pleading with you. Sometimes we have this mindset of, you know, it's the, maybe it's the, the, the guy up front or the paid holy guys. They're the guys that are really zealous and God's kind of aloof up there in heaven somewhere, kind of just watching the whole thing. No, it's God working through people. God was working through Paul, pleading with the Corinthians, look, come on, you got you to gotta be reconciled with me. It's only going to happen through the cross of Christ. And so he tells them, he gives them his exhortation in verse 1. He says, I'm pleading with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God. Now, when we talk about the grace of God, it's really important what we mean by that. Many of you know that the word grace, uh, the the Greek word for grace, keros, was a a greeting among the Greeks. The Greeks would say, grace to you. That was one of the things they would say, it was a greeting. And the word grace, it literally means like attractiveness or or favor, like someone who's been favored by the gods was kind of the idea originally. But grace came to mean, in Christian terms, in Christian circles, grace came to mean unmerited favor, the idea that God would be attracted to us and that attraction to us has nothing to do with us, we don't deserve it it's grace. It's unmerited. But the Bible also talks about that grace or teaches that grace is not just unmerited favor, but listen, it's divine enabling. It's the reality that God gives us the power to do the things that He wants us to do. God doesn't just say, here's a standard for you, and I'm a really nice guy, and I, and I love you even though you're an idiot, and you know what? Just try your hardest. That's all I care about. No, what God does is, in His grace, He pursues us, He wants us, He chooses us, He draws us, and then when He saves us, He gives us the strength that we need to keep growing. That's grace. Now, when Paul says to the Corinthian church, look, I'm pleading uh, with you, God's pleading with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't just think, oh yeah, okay, I get it, grace, that's, that's great, that's, that's why I don't have to worry about working for my salvation, oh that's, yeah, that's great, that's good, I understand grace, I acknowledge that I have to be saved by God or made right with God by grace. Paul's saying it's much bigger than that. It's not just about acknowledging grace, it's about utilizing grace. If I was to ask you if I was to ask for volunteers today, is anybody willing to, you know, anybody have a large vehicle, they're willing to pick people up and bring them to church? You might go, oh yeah, I have one, great. Okay, great. So can you do this, this, and this? Oh, well, you know, I'm not sure if I can do that. Well, can you pick up these four people? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, why not? Well, I can fit four people in my car, but I'm just not sure if I could actually go and get them. Well, why not? I don't really drive. I have a car. I do have a license, but I just never use the car. So well, I'm not really sure if I can go pick these people up. And that's kind of what we are as like Christians. Oh, yeah, oh I believe in grace. Yeah, I know I'm saved by grace, but then we never utilize it. We never use the grace of God. We don't realize that God's enabled us to move forward. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, man, do not accept the grace of God. Or don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't be the kind of people to just say, oh, yeah, I get that. God saved me. Okay, yeah, I believe God can change you, but you never utilize the resources of God through Jesus to actually walk. Interesting, because the Bible says, we we read again last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, he who made no sin, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he, uh, God, for he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That's God made Christ to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's grace. God has given us this position. The Bible teaches, listen, this is amazing. The Bible teaches that because Christ died on that cross, that He absorbed all the judgment and the wrath that should be upon us as sinners. God absorbed that. Not only does He absorb that, but because He rose from the dead, when we come to Him by faith, He declares us righteous. He declares us innocent. He looks at us, listen, and He looks at us and He says, you're as right with me as Jesus Christ is. That's the position you have. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's what it means to be reconciled with God. It means to have this gift of righteousness. Well, listen, that's grace, but also look what Paul says about grace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, speaking of his apostleship, and his grace towards me, notice, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Do you see that? Do you see both those things that Paul taught? Grace, unmerited favor, grace, divine enablement, it's both. And God calls us to this. And this is the number one reason why people don't grow. They don't grow because they devalue God's grace. Maybe they only see God's grace as divine enablement. Okay, now God's God's giving me this grace, so the rest is up to me, and they work really hard to be good and they just blow it over and over again, or they get totally puffed up with pride because they think they're doing better than they actually are. Or maybe they see grace only as unmerited favor. And so they think, you know, there's grace. God forgives. God's cool with me. It's all fine. I'm right with God. I'm in this position. And they never actually begin to grow or serve or move forward with the things that God saved them for. But it's both. This is why uh, the author of Hebrews actually really rebukes the, uh, the Hebrews that he's writing to in chapter 5. And he says, listen, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. In other words, they're mature. And this is how he describes the mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, the mature person is the person who knows I've been saved by grace, I've been declared righteous because of God's grace, and now because I'm made righteous, God's Spirit lives in me by grace, and God's going to give me the grace to live the way He wants me to live. And I'm going to learn how to do that as I do that. Have you ever been involved with anything? A sport? Uh, you may be a musical group school, work, where you knew, I want to achieve something. Did any of you want to achieve something and never work at it? See, what God's saying is, listen, don't work for your salvation. God's saying, listen, because you've been saved already, because you've been made right with me, work out your salvation. Work from your salvation, you might say. Exercise that. Now don't devalue grace. That's interesting. Here, he in verse two he quotes Isaiah chapter forty nine when he says, "In an acceptable time I have heard you; in the day of salvation I have helped you." And it's interesting because the context of Isaiah forty nine is is God speaking to His people Israel and saying, "Listen, there is going to come a time, an acceptable time, where I am going to hear you. I am going to bring my salvation to you." And He's speaking of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to bring salvation. So that listen when Paul then says in verse 2, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He said, don't you get it? Jesus has come. (laughs) He's, He's come. The Savior's come. The Messiah's come. He's here. He died. He rose. He ascended, and He sent His Spirit. Now, there's also a practical thing about this, because... I think one of the things that Paul's saying is not just the fact, hey, Jesus has come, but the fact of, do you recognize that grace is available to you today? See, guys, grace is available to, always available to anyone who'll seek God. Both unmerited favor, God, I messed up again. God says, okay, you're saved by grace. And both divine and God, I need the strength to do what's right here. It's it's good. I'm going to give it to you. Look again what the scripture says. You don't think I'm just making this up. Check this out. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter three, the, the author writes, but beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We've talked about this a lot, haven't we? We talked about the fact that even though we're saved by grace and God doesn't uh, hold our sin against us anymore, there's still a consequence when we sin. Uh, the immediate consequence is our heart gets a little bit more hard towards God. But, but the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, exhort one another while it's today. Don't depart from living God. When you blow it, go back to God. Look what he says a little bit later on in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of what? grace that we may obtain mercy and notice find grace to help in time of need do you value do you esteem god's grace like this where you recognize man god accepts me in christ what amazing grace and also god will enable me through christ or because of christ by his holy spirit because of grace do you believe that do you do you see the work of christ as that sufficient that valuable because if you don't you're not going to grow you you gotta start there man you gotta start there your growth doesn't start with guilt your growth starts with grace It starts with grace. And it's finished by grace. So that's the first thing. We devalue God's grace. That that causes us to remain immature. But look at verse 3. Paul says, we, speaking of him and other apostles, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, he says, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now, you got to know what Paul's doing here. Paul, Paul knows the reputation of the gospel of grace is on the line. There's false teachers in Corinth, and they are wanting to add something to the gospel. Oh, yeah, okay, believe in Jesus, but you also have to do X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, believe in Jesus, and you know what? Don't worry about turning from sin or dealing with sin. It doesn't matter. Both those things take a wrong view of grace, don't they? And so paul recognizes that it's not just his reputation it's the reputation of the gospel as that state and that motivates him here listen to defend his ministry it's motivating to defend his ministry now i, I want to kind of lay something out for you that's not necessarily in the text but it's something that paul understood something that paul was bringing out and it kind of it explains what his motivation is why it was so important for him and why he was constantly having to defend his apostleship, that he had actually been sent by Jesus, and he had authority like the other 12 apostles. You got to understand this, um, a New Testament apostle is equal to an Old Testament prophet. One of the mistakes that we can make in, in charismatic circles is equating Old Testament prophets with New Testament prophets, but that's not what the Bible does. When the Bible speaks of the authority of an Old Testament prophet, it's one who's actually speaking the words of God. They could say, thus says the Lord. One of the mistakes I think that we make in the charismatic movement is sometimes someone has a, a, a prophecy, which is legitimate. We'll talk about that soon in Sunday night service. But if you want to come check out that, you can check that out. But, but the, what will happen is they'll say, thus says the Lord. And it's almost like you're trying to equate that kind of prophecy with Old Testament prophecy, and they're not the same an Old Testament prophet had a, a, a certain authority. In fact, it was such a serious thing for someone to speak in the name of God that, that uh, God set down some ground rules. In fact, first of all, this is how God would speak. He always used a prophet. The Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals uh, His secret to His servants, the prophets. So whatever God's going to do, He first would speak through a prophet. So The the office of a prophet was huge in the New Testament. This is how God spoke. This is why the Old Testament Scriptures are called the law and the prophets, the authoritative word of God, okay? Now, listen to this. Some of the guidelines for prophets, some of the standards for prophets. Deuteronomy chapter 18, check this out. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, this is God speaking, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Whew. Now, I make you think twice about saying, I think God has a word today. If you're going to die, if you get it wrong, you think twice, okay? And you shall say, and, and if you, sh- you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Listen, when a prophet speaks in the name of God, in the name of the Lord, and the thing does not, uh, does not happen or come to pass, then that thing which the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. You can imagine the kind of power someone might have when they said, I'm speaking in the name of God. If you think that person's godly, you might like, go, oh, I gotta do what he says. And God says, listen, don't be afraid of these guys. Test them. And if they're not saying what I've said, if what they say doesn't come to pass, kill them. Whoa. Now I bring that out, not because God's being harsh, I bring that out because God's protecting His people, and He's warning nut jobs from bringing in false prophecies. Hey, this is serious stuff to God. Really serious. Check this out. Earlier in, in Deuteronomy, here's what he says about prophets, He says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke saying, let us go after other gods. In other words, if he does a miracle, it actually works. But he says, let's go serve this other God, which you have not known, he says, let us them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. In other words, it doesn't matter what kind of miracle, supernatural thing they did. If they're trying to get you to worship someone other than the God of the Scriptures, ignore them. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and you uh, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments, obey His voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But the prophet of that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you away from uh, in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. Pretty high standards for a prophet, isn't it? Now, good news. If you feel like you might have a gift of prophecy, number one, you're not going to be like an Old Testament prophet. No one's going to hold you to the standard of perfection. Good news. But we are going to test you against Scripture. So, if you're saying stuff, I think God's saying to us X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't meet with Scripture, we're not going to kill you. Don't worry. No one's going to get stoned here. But we will probably take you aside and say, you know, I don't think that's really the Lord. But what we're trying to say here, we're trying to, 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 what I'm trying to, to show you is, this is how God, seriously, how God took someone saying, this is my word to his people. They had to know. It had to be clear. It had to be right. Now, the Old Testament or the New Testament apostles had a similar authority as the Old Testament prophets. In some way, you might say they had more authority the new testament apostles we're talking about those who qualified to be apostles if you want to know how that worked or or how that connects to the authority of the new testament i suggest you go back and listen to the study that we did in the book of acts in chapter 2 or i'm sorry last part of chapter 1 and we talk about this very issue but they had a similar they had a similar sort of authority they could say this is what god says now, this is why Paul says this. Listen, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes, but even if we or an angel, that's we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And in other words, Paul's saying, look, it's not me that has all the authority. It's the word of God that he's spoken through me. That's the standard you hold us to. Now, you can see, if this is the high standard that God holds apostles to, because they're speaking the Word of God in the same way the Old Testament prophet would bring forth the Word of God and say, this is the standard of God, this is God's very, these are God's very words, okay? You can see why false apostles, pseudo-apostles, fake leaders would infiltrate the church and try to undermine the authority of Paul. Are you guys following me? Can you see how this is such an important issue? Can you see why Paul would say, this is why, again, um, we we commend ourselves. This is why I'm going to say, this is how you can know that I am sent by God. Check it out. What Paul does now... Oh, I forgot one more verse, didn't I? Yeah. Paul writes again in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, The household of God, that's us as believers has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, when he says apostles and prophets, there's two ways we can interpret that, I think. One is um, that the, the apostles were also prophets, so they were prophesying as well as just teaching and planting churches. But it could also mean apostles, New Testament, and prophets, Old Testament, which is kind of the way the church practically took this. That's why we have in the Bible, when we say we have the Bible, singular, it's made up of 66 different books written over 1,500 years and has an Old Testament and a New Testament, apostles, prophets. Now, Paul, th- th- this is what Paul's doing. Because this is such a big deal, because the gospel's at stake, he's saying, look, I'm going to prove to you. Let me again show you the evidence that I actually am sent by Jesus with the right gospel. Here's what he says, okay? Notice, if you notice when we read before, there's three prepositions. One is in, the other is by, and the other is as. And those three prepositions kind of give three different arguments he's bringing forth. Paul's kind of saying, here's three categories of my commendations of why you should trust me. The first one is this, listen, of the difficulties he endured. Okay, Paul talks about, look, here's how we've been commended because we've been in much patience. He says in tribulations, that means pressure. He says needs, that means they didn't always have what they needed. They didn't materially have all that they needed. These weren't like the guys you see on the God channel who are always saying, I need a Learjet. We're talking about he didn't always have food and clothing. Uh, He says, listen, he says we are in distresses. It means they were stressed out. Some people want to say that Christians never stress out. (laughs) That's dumb. (laughs) We stress. We just have a God we can give our stresses to. He says in stripes. If you don't know what that means, it means he was beaten, whipped, where there would be lines across his back. He says uh, imprisonments, tumults, laborers. In other words, the the work that he had to do, Paul specifically was a guy who didn't take support from all churches. Specifically, the the Corinthian church, he didn't take financial support. Instead, he had a day job. He had a day job because he didn't want anybody to accuse him of doing this thing for money. In sleeplessness. Now, some say this might be insomnia from stress. Could be, I'll tell you what, I've spent a couple of sleepless nights worrying about the church. <laughs> but it could also just be the guy worked like Jesus did so hard that he just got very little sleep. I know what that's like too. I know Adam knows what that's like too. We talk about it all the time. Sleeplessness. Listen, he said, in fastings, Paul and the early church, they, they would not eat so they could focus and just seek God. The point is, Paul endured loads of difficulties. Why? Because he didn't want anybody to accuse him of having the wrong motives for bringing the gospel. No one could say Paul was doing this for himself, or his health, or making a name for himself. But also notice he says, by, which here is talking about, listen, the resources that he utilized. Look at the things he said. He said, did it by purity. In other words, no one could accuse me of any sort of sinful practice. By knowledge. No one could doubt that Paul understood things. Don't forget, before Paul was a Jesus follower, he was a, he was a Jewish expert of the law. Very educated man. And he showed, he was using that knowledge, that what he understood, and interpreting it through the gospel of Jesus. By long-suffering, being patient with people. As we go through 2 Corinthians, you'll see, man, Paul, <laughs> he endured a lot from these people that he, he loved. By kindness by the Holy Spirit. One of the things that was evidence about Paul's ministry, one of the things that God used to confirm, confirm that they were speaking of him is Paul was involved in really unique miracles. In fact, the whole book of Acts is written by Luke to show the same kind of things that God was doing through Peter, God did through Paul to show they were on the same level of apostleship. He says, notice, listen, by sincere love. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but Paul loved these people. He really had a heart. I mean, he loved these people. I got to tell you, please don't think I'm saying I'm an apostle. I'm not. I don't believe there's apostles like Paul anymore. There's apostles who go out and plant churches. That's different, but I'm not in any way kind of a, that kind of authority. But as a pastor, as a church planter, I got to tell you, <laughs> There's been so many times when I've been talking to somebody and they're so sure I'm against them, I have to say, what can I do to prove to you that I love you? Seriously. What else can I do to prove to you that I am for you? I sold everything I owned to come to this country. What else do I got to do? And I can imagine Paul felt that way times 100. (laughs) What else am I going to do to prove to you that my love for you is sincere? Listen, he said, by the word of truth... These guys, when they taught the gospel of Jesus, they always used the Old Testament scriptures showing how Jesus fulfilled them. By the power of God, not his own strength, but by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand on the left. Now this could mean just the fact that Paul was armed well. You know, I got the sword of the spirit, I got the shield of faith kind of a thing. But it could also mean he was getting attacked on both sides all the time. And he endured all that stuff. These are the resources he used. He even says by honor and dishonor. In other words, you know what? I'm going to serve God when I'm honored for it, and I'm going to serve God when I'm dishonored for it. I'm going to serve God when they report well of me, and I'm going to serve God when they report evil of me. Paul says, this is what I did. And the last category is about the perspective he he kept. I love this about Paul. If you look at Paul's life, if you study what he did, it's easy for us to think about how much impact the New Testament has had, specifically Paul's writings. They've changed the world. I don't know if you know that or not, but the the Western world would not be what it is unless we had the Scriptures, specifically what Paul wrote. There's a really great book, and of course I just dropped the title. It's, um, oh. Oh, I just totally lost the title. I should have wrote it down. But it's written by an actually an an Indian um, scholar and it's, it's basically this book, ah, something to my tongue. Anyway, it's basically a book about how, it's a book about how the Bible changed Western culture. And he's writing from a perspective of an Indian man, so he knew what colonialism was about and the bad things about it, but also saying, but here's the good stuff that came, not because the colonials were so great, but because the scripture is so powerful. It's a great book, and I wish I could remember what it was called. Anyway, I'll try to find out and get it back to you later on. The point is this, okay? This guy, he, he, his perspective, Paul's perspective was, was one, not denying the difficulty he had, but knowing that God was still in control. When he says, look, I'm unknown, people are like, Paul who? I mean, Paul's famous in our mind. He was not famous in that day. Who's Paul? Who does he think he is? Especially when he go to speak because he wasn't a great speaker. He says, hey, look, I, I might be unknown to people, but I'm known to God. Just, I'll give you just a couple quick other examples. Notice he says, as deceivers yet true. It doesn't mean he's deceiving people. He's saying, look, people call, you know, accuse us of lying and, and deceiving, but no one can prove anything because everything we do is, again, according to the word of truth. He says, look, as poor yet making many rich. Paul never had a dime. <laughs> he never had any money to his name but he was really great about giving people spiritual riches as having nothing yet possessing all things. I love his perspective. Paul's saying, look, don't you realize the reason I'm enduring so much stuff and the reason I'm doing all these things is to prove to you is God wants you to know for sure that you can trust that I, that he has spoken through me. Now, what's this that got to do with us not maturing? The second thing that causes us to stay immature is we discredit God's messenger. When I say discrediting God's messenger, I'm not talking about me or other pastors, because you should test everything we say according to this book. I'm talking about this book. Let's be honest. We we read this book and we go, it's hard to understand. And people say it's full of contradictions and I don't know if I can really get anything. And so we just kind of think, yeah, I don't really know if that is God's word. Maybe it contains God's word, but I don't know if it is God's word. You know what you're doing? You're discrediting God's messenger. It's the same thing, guys, as looking at the Apostle Paul and saying, you're not from God. Or looking at one of the Old Testament prophets and saying, well, you should die. And by the way, that's what God's people did a lot they would kill the prophets. They killed Jesus for crying out loud. We discredit God's messenger, and this is why we don't grow. Instead of saying, God, people seriously suffered greatly to bring this book into our hands. I mean, it's not just the apostles and what they went through. Do you have any clue what people had to go through so you could have a version of the Scripture in your language? so that you could read this for yourself. Do you realize the whole reason there's public education? Education for the masses. It was motivated by this book. That God wanted you to hear this, so he moved on men's hearts who suffered and were ridiculed and gave up positions and personal finances so that you could read this book. And when we discredit that, we think, ah, it's just a book. We're discrediting God's messenger, and it's wonder it's a wonder why we don't grow. Peter said, desire the pure desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, lastly, we're almost done. Paul gets really personal here when he says in verse 11, oh Corinthians. He says we have spoken openly to you our heart is wide open. Paul says, look, we've been honest with you down the line. We haven't held back anything from you that was helpful. Now, does everything that Paul writes does it make us all feel good? No. <laughs> I remember when I was teaching to the book of Romans. And we're in the first three chapters that are really just all about why we're under the wrath of God. Everyone was like, when is it going to stop? You know, it's like so heavy. We're trying to be positive at the end. Every week trying to bring it back. But, but Christ died for us. But everyone was like, oh, we are wretches. We're so bad. Now, but here's the thing. Paul wrote that out of love. He wanted us to recognize how sick we were. Like a good physician wouldn't say, you know, you have this little thing. It's just a kind of disease. We'll, we'll deal with it. Don't worry about it. It's a little thing. Well, what disease? It's, just, it's cancer. No big deal. Come on. No, he's, he would say it's terminal. We have to do some serious surgery. We've got to cut this thing out. And that's what Paul does with his writings. He gives us all the needs. And Paul's saying, look, I know some of the stuff I've had to say to you has been difficult, but I've spoken openly to you because my heart is enlarged towards you. Because I love you. In fact, check this out. Paul writes this to the Corinthians in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you in the gospel. Paul had this fatherly heart towards the Corinthian church. He cared for them as a father cares for his children. I think that's what he's getting at when he says, I speak to you. I I speak as to children. He's not belittling them as much as he's saying, yeah, he's saying you're immature, but he's also saying, I care for you as a dad. I'm not against you. Later on, we'll see that Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul saying, I'm the parent, you're the children, and I will very, notice, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. Paul saying, man, look, I'm open. Why Why do you want to push me away when all I've done is to help your soul be saved, for you to grow and to walk and to know Christ? In fact, Paul says plainly in verse 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own uh, affections. Now here, he's not talking about like affections as in, oh, I love this person, or that kind of way, or hugs and kisses. He's talking about the the feelings that we have, strong feelings. And what seems to be happening here in Corinth is that these false teachers were, uh, the Corinthians were basically holding back, they were were restricted uh, in the relationship with Paul based on feelings that were being manipulated by false teachers. Again, I've seen this happen before. I've seen this happen in ministries before where people accuse somebody else of having the wrong motives and that stirs up false feelings and then people have these wrong hearts towards somebody else, towards the pastors or the teachers or whatever, and they don't want to listen anymore to the word that's being taught. Again, I'm not naive. I know sometimes pastors deserve that kind of stuff. But when they do, they should be taken aside and corrected. But Paul's saying, come on, guys. It's not me that's held back from you. It's you holding back from me. So he says to them in verse 13, now in return for the same, you also be open. See, guys, listen. Paul's not just saying, you need to submit to my authority as a pastor or my authority as an apostle. He's not just saying that. He's saying, listen, listen. I want you guys, I'm calling you guys to loving relationships. I'm calling you to love me the way I love you because that's what maturity is. That's how you measure maturity love. Now, this is the third thing that causes immaturity it's distancing yourself from godly relationships. I mean, you're not going to get a more godly leader than the Apostle Paul. Sorry, guys, you, are, you get way down the list with Adam and I. <laughs> I mean, Paul was just a godly, godly man. He, he, he could say, look, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm justified, but I don't know of anything against myself. I, I can't say that. I could confess to you all kinds of sinful things that I've done this morning. But Paul was like, He he walked in purity. Paul walked in holiness. Paul was selfless. Now, he was a sinner, but he was selfless. He was mature. And these guys are pushing him away. Look, I know it's difficult. Church life can be difficult. I know that. Especially a church like ours. We are really radically diverse, different backgrounds, different cultures. I know it can be tough, but listen, these relationships that we develop here, for you who are committed to this church, for you who say, This is my church, I know, got a lot of visitors, I know, but for you who are saying, This is my church, do you realize these relationships should be the priority? And if you are, listen, if you are distancing yourself from the relationships that, that are centered in the gospel, you're not going to grow. You're going to stay immature. That's a fact. I'm not saying that, hey, you should have these relationships because they're going to be so fulfilling. No, they're going to be challenging. They're going to be tough. Really tough. And the closer you get, the harder they get. Because the, more, the closer you get to somebody, the more you trust them, the more you trust them, the more they let you down, and it, gets, it hurts. That's why marriage is so hard. But it's how you grow. You grow by pursuing godly relationships, not distancing yourself from those things. Quickly, a couple of verses, then we're done. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. That's Paul's heart. The author of Hebrews says it this way, really simple, clear exhortation, Here's a command of God that we're called to obey. Listen, let us consider one another. This is why God calls you to be at church. So you can think about the other people that are there. You consider what they need. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day of approaching. Guys, God calls us to these godly relationships. I mean this completely, really out of love. My heart is wanting to see all of us grow. But I want to challenge you. Are you more mature now than you were a year ago? You know when my kids were toddlers and they'd crawl into the kitchen and grab the pots and pans and start banging on them. It's kind of cute. We take them away because it give you a headache after all. It was kind of cute. But you know, Savannah's twenty, and if she crawled into the kitchen and started banging on pots and pans, we'd be worried. <laughs> She's only done it a couple times, you know. and <laughs> no, we'd be worried. God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. Maturity is a good thing. I know it's not in our culture. In our culture, everybody wants youth. Be young, be young. Well, I gonna tell you, you've got to go old like everybody else. And it's a good thing. Maturity is a good thing. Are you more mature now than you were a year ago? Because here's the truth. If there's been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are now, where you are walking in the light more than you are now, you're backslidden. Do you realize that? Now, I know these things aren't always clear and straight. I know we can be growing really well in one area and then we still struggling in another area. And then we can make progress in that area and kind of dip down in another. I understand it's not always that simple. But let me ask you something do you want to grow up? <laughs> do you want to mature? Because if you do, then let's humble ourselves and say, God, forgive us for devaluing your grace. Forgive us for discrediting your messenger, your word. And forgive us for distancing ourselves from godly relationships. Let's turn back to God this morning.